verse number one. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Everybody said the gospel. Which I preached unto you. Which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, Brother Andrew up there, I meant to include verse number 4. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I want to talk to us for a few moments this morning about the agenda of the gospel. The agenda of the gospel. I know we praise the Lord a bunch in this service already here today, but I wonder if we could lay our Bibles down and just lift our hands and pray and ask the Spirit of God would move in a significant way here this morning among all of us, hearts, regardless of whether you're a member of Cornerstone, regardless of who you are and where you're from, God, I pray in the name of Jesus for a dynamic move of the Holy Ghost to receive the Word of God, to receive the Word of God. We ask it. In the name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I don't know how many people are actually present here today, but just about everybody in our world today thinks they could give a definition of what the gospel means. And that, in part, is one of the reasons why I felt led of the Spirit of God to talk about this here this morning. We are increasingly, as a culture, we are increasingly propagandized and fed misinformation on a variety of different levels. And it is incumbent as a primary function and responsibility of the church of the living God not to become involved with politics. Can I get an amen? That's kind of weak. Because I really don't care who the president is, it ain't going to stop God. <laughs> I mean, I care, but I don't care. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to make a very non-political statement. 
However, wherever culture crosses the things of God, the word of God, the perception of God, and a myriad of other things, it is the responsibility, I believe, to sound a very clear voice so that people can hear truth. Instead of supposing that God is like a media news outlet, God deals in truth. And so we're going to talk about this word gospel uh, for a little bit. It's used over 90 times in the New Testament in a variety of ways. For example, there is a, um, a gospel of peace. There's a gospel of grace. There is a gospel of Christ. There is a gospel of God. More often than not, it is called the gospel of the kingdom, but make no mistake about it, there's only one gospel. We are not talking about a multiplicity of opinions. We are not talking about a multiplicity of theological opinions. There is only one gospel, just like there's only one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, there is only one gospel. Yes. You are in an interactive church. It's proactive, which means if you respond, it helps me to respond. And when you respond, I have a tendency to go faster. Which means if you're hungry... The challenge in this little thing is to act like you're getting it. And then the pastor will go faster. And I'm just having a little fun. I don't plan on going any faster because there are some things that we just, you, you got to get. I know we're all smart. We're all intelligent. We all have a smartphone. We're all up to date on, we all have our political opinions and our viewpoints and da 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 But when it comes to the word of God, there's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father above you all, and there's only one gospel. The gospel, according to the word of God, must be preached. If it's going to be disseminated, um, you can explain the doctrine or the gospel over a coffee table, a cup of coffee, I suppose. But the gospel was meant to be proclaimed. It is meant to cut through all other voices, all other opinions, all other philosophies, all other ideologies. It is meant to be preached Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, verse number 18, that the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel. And so you hear a lot of preaching in an apostolic church because it is that way by design. It's that way by design. The word gospel means good news or glad 
tidings. I kind of got amused, amused in preparation for this service this morning. Uh, there's an old English word that actually means God spell. God spell. But that is not an original rendering. That is an old English rendering. It literally means good news. And it revolves entirely around Jesus Christ. The real question is, before we get too far into this, is what is the good news? Depending on people's backgrounds and their level of um, informational inundation, people can have opinions, people can... Uh, my grandfather was a United Methodist preacher for 40 years, and he, had, he already had an opinion of what it meant to be Pentecostal. He was United Methodist. Their doctrine is, is extremely, they're like a cross between, and if you're Methodist here, I'm not throwing stones. I used to be Methodist myself. I'm not making any of these distinctions to be offensive. I'm just saying that it's somewhere between being Catholic and being Baptist, and that's what the Methodists are. And my grandfather, when he found out that I was apostolic Pentecostal, he threw a fit. And he thought that his, I've reviewed this a thousand times since then, but he thought that to be Pentecostal meant that you were overly emotional. How many of you are married? Go ahead and lift your hand. Okay, don't be, don't be embarrassed. Your wife needs to know you're lifting your hand. How many of you are in a marriage where there's no emotion? I think we should clap our hands right now and give some praise to God. You're going to be happily married. There's going to be some emotion. Somebody help me out. But my grandfather, that was a theologian for the United Methodist Church, he had labeled Pentecostalism and Pentecostals as being all emotional. And, of course, he was telling this to me after I had repented of my sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, and been filled with the Holy Ghost. And I looked at him through glazed eyes, and I said, no, it's way more than emotion. But see, misinformation and the inundation of misinformation is rampant in the 21st century. And I believe in the end time that the church of the living God, one of our responsibilities, and I believe it is one of our primary responsibilities, is to have a good old-fashioned demonstration every, every once in a while so that people that visit this church that are from denominational backgrounds, they say, I never knew church could be like that. We need to read the book. I never knew it was supposed to be that way. We need to read the book. I never knew that God could move that way. We need to read the book. Hallelujah. The good news is, is that the relationship between God and man is restored. Don't act too excited. I understand. 
until you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost that is purely an intellectual platform. And God is not interested in intellect only. But the good news is a restored relationship between God and man. But it has to be actualized and realized. Let's look at our text here uh, this morning because there are some key factors found in this that will help us understand what I'm trying to say. Look at verses 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. I've already made this statement that the gospel is designed to be preached, not a suggestion, not on a postcard, not in a whisper, not at a Starbucks over a table. I mean, you can explain it, but the gospel is designed to be proclaimed. But he said, which I preached unto you, which also you have received. Now notice, this is 1 Corinthians. The church of Corinth started in Acts 18. It was on Paul's missionary journey that when he went to Corinth, very famous passage of scripture, after going to Mars Hill, he went to Corinth and God gave the apostle Paul a vision that said to preach and be not afraid for I have much people in this city. Which means if the Apostle Paul would do what he was supposed to do, then God would do what only God can do. And that is, don't be afraid, but keep preaching. But it it goes beyond that. It says, which also you have received and wherein ye stand. That word stand there is not talking about standing up on your two feet. It's talking about a foundation, a doctrinal foundation of standing on the truth. In Ephesians chapter six, it says, having done all to stand, stand. It's talking about that you're in a fixed position not only experientially, but doctrinally, wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. So this is point number one, that this is a fundamental, foundational reality of doctrine and I am saved because of my obedience to the doctrine and my experience. Everybody said amen. Look at verse number three. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now this is critical in comprehending the gospel. Because the largest Christian group in the world still has Jesus on a cross. Their religious symbolism, the number one form of their Christian symbolism, still has Jesus on the cross. That's as far as it goes. 
is that Jesus died on the cross. That is not the complete gospel. And this is not Pastor Mayo. This is the Apostle Paul, the spiritual father of the church at Corinth, that's writing back to them that is breaking down and explaining to them what the gospel is. And he says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Not an opinion, not a college-level classroom, not the philosophy of men, not the multiplicity of denominations that are all post-Reformation in the Middle Ages, but from the Scripture. Clap your hands and give God the praise. It's got to be in the Word of God. According to the scriptures. Verse number four. And that he was buried. They took him, his dead body, off of the cross and placed him into a tomb. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And so the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. Not some theologian in the 1600s or 1700s like John Calvin or Martin Luther. This is the chiefest of all the apostles that is breaking down the content of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Aren't you glad he rose again? If he didn't rise again, Paul said, our faith is in vain. But ladies and gentlemen, he goes on to say he was seen of over 500 eyewitnesses. It doesn't matter what the devil tries to say. It doesn't matter what the Roman Empire tries to say. Jesus rose again. And so the gospel... that has been provided to bring reconciliation between God and man is based on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You cannot take one part of that and call that the whole gospel. You cannot take two-thirds of that and call it the whole gospel. It has got to be the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the whole gospel. And everybody said, all right. The Apostle Paul further defined the importance of the gospel in that it had to be apostolic. Now, what do we mean when we say apostolic? 
The word apostle is in the word of God. The word apostolic simply means that we are taking what was preached, what was taught, what was written by the apostles is being part of our doctrine. That's what it means to be apostolic. I am Pentecostal in experience. I am apostolic in my doctrine. This is exactly what every church was in the New Testament. If you could break it down, you could say that they were Pentecostal in experience because they got the same thing that they did on the day of Pentecost, but they were founded on the doctrine that was provided for them by the apostles. Now, what does this really mean? This means that the gospel that was preached by the apostles is absolutely 100% without argument. It is absolutely reality. It was the Apostle Paul that preached at Corinth. It was the Apostle Paul that preached at Ephesus. It was the Apostle Paul that preached at Thessalonica, at Colossae. In Rome, I could go on and on and on and on and on. The gospel was preached by the apostle. In fact, the apostle Paul said this was, I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. The apostle Paul received a revelation of what the gospel was. And he shook the known world through the power of the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. And somebody said amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 3, the apostle Paul said, our gospel. Somebody said, our gospel. It was exclusive. It had to be apostolic. There was only one source that was authorized and anointed to preach the gospel, and it had to be apostolic. So the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 3, our gospel. And notice what he says here. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Now you got to get this, because I don't usually slow down. And the people, the great saints here at Cornerstone, you're probably sitting out there going, Man, he's really slowing down today. There's just sometimes I have to slow down because understanding is more important right now than expression. I am, I am preaching in the 21st century to a group of people, some of which spend more time on social media than you do in prayer. And so I am here to penetrate through all of the voices and the noise in our world to once again make it clear. And if it's not clear to anybody else, it's going to be clear to the devil that is ruling in this part of the world that this church understands what the gospel is 
and they are not afraid to proclaim it, they are not afraid to preach it, and they are not afraid to live it. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise right now. I don't have time to get into this. But there was a lot of times that the Apostle Paul went in and preached knowing that it was going to affect the supernatural. I remember our church many years ago, we had two people in service. I had an usher in the back that was sound asleep, and I had Sister Betsy Jester sitting on the front row. Off to the side was my wife and my two children. Zach was three, and Ari was one. And I told my wife, I said, honey, I know that God gave me a message to preach. And so I preached with an usher that was sound asleep, and Sister Betsy got up after the offering and curtsied and went to catch a bus to go to work. So it's me. An usher that's sound asleep, my wife and my two children, and I preached like there was 500 people in a 700-square-foot office suite. You know why I did that? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you know why I did that? Because there's sometimes that you're preaching to the spirit world, and you're putting the spirit world on notice. You ain't shutting me down. You ain't running me off. We ain't staying in a 700-square-foot office suite. I'm going to preach at God's... There's hungry people in this part of the world. There's over 750,000 people in this area now, and we are going to have revival. And that's exactly what I preached 28 years ago. And on the ride home, ride home I had a Delta 88. It looked like a boat. It sounded like a boat. It had a diesel engine in it. I bought it that way. And I was telling my wife, I was telling my wife, honey, I know that God gave me that message. She said, God did give you that message. It was for you. And so sometimes when you just hear the preacher, the pastor, whoever's up here, get on his side. Because he may be preaching to the spirit world. And you don't want the spirit world thinking, well, they're on my side. They're just sitting there. They ain't moving. They don't know what they're doing. No, be on God's side and say, we may, we may not see it, but it's going to happen. We're in a tug of war today, and I'm on God's side. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. Woo, hallelujah. There was ownership of the gospel in the epistles. The Apostle Paul called it our gospel, and he said, if you don't have our gospel, you're blinded by the God of this world. That doesn't fly in an intelligent, intellectual, overly theological world where people's opinions are more important than the Word of God. First Thessalonians 1 and 5, the Apostle Paul called it our gospel. 2 Timothy 2 and 8, he called it my gospel. 
This is not this is my good news. This is this is the message I'm preaching. This is this is this is the gospel that called me out and this is the gospel that is shaking Asia Minor and this is the gospel that's shaking the Roman Empire. Our gospel, my gospel. And so it is critical that we comprehend this so that we have the right gospel. And everybody said amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 1. Famous passage of scripture. Look at verse number 6. This is the apostle Paul writing to the church at Galatia, which is a region. It's not a city. It's an entire region. Look what he writes in verse number 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ Unto another gospel. Everybody said another. Say it again, please. Please, one last time. Look at verse 7. Which is not another. Now, you you, you might be sitting there saying, Pastor, we, we know all this. We've heard all this. I want to tell you, this is more important today than it's ever been in your life. Because it's got to be the right message. It's got to be the right gospel. If I was sitting in your shoes, I wouldn't care about what anybody else had to say in this world. I want to see Jesus. I want to go to heaven. I have got to have the right gospel. Oh, clap your hands and give him praise. It is not another The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter number 20 that after my departure, there's going to be wolves that enter into the church. Even the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter number 2 prophesied that there were going to be evil men that crept in unawares. Even during the day of the Apostles, there were people that tried to mimic This was the whole setting of the sons of Sceva in Acts chapter number 19. They saw Paul casting out devils by the power of the name of Jesus. And there were vagabond Jews that just followed Paul around and said, well, if Paul can cast out the devil, I guess we can cast out the devil. And the devil looked at them and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Here's the difference. Jesus is the author of the gospel. Paul was preaching the gospel. The sons of Sceva didn't have the authority and the power to preach the gospel. And that one spirit jumped out of them and stripped their whole little group to where they they just running off into the distance totally naked. And that's what Satan tries to do. He tries to strip you, your dignity, your value, if you go into it without the right stuff. So Paul said our gospel, he said my gospel, and now in the book of Galatians, he's revealing there's no such thing as another gospel. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert We understand that word pervert because there's people in our day and age that are absolutely bringing gender confusion and sexual confusion into the world. 
It means to change. Even in the Apostle Paul's day, he understood that there would be some that would trouble you. Their whole thing in life is not to be an angel of, of righteousness, but it's to be a worker of the enemy. Either they're in it for self-promotion, they're in it for a better-paying job, they're in it so they can feel important among people, they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. It's not another gospel. But there be some that would trouble you. They're trying to mess with you. They're trying to confuse you. Look at verse number eight. But though we, the apostles, or an angel from heaven, preach any other, please lift your voice, any other unto you than that which we have Let him be accursed. Now, there are tens of millions of Americans that have gone to a house of worship this morning. And everybody claims to have the truth. But the reality of it is, it has to be the gospel that Paul preached, not what John MacArthur preaches. Not what John Calvin preaches. It has to come from the right source. Look at verse 9. As we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received let him be a curse. Why? Why would somebody preach a different gospel? Why would somebody tamper? I think the Apostle Paul gives us an inkling. It's not in your notes up there. Look at verse number 10. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. If I'm worried about what people are going to think, it could cause me to change this message because this message is like any other message. You actually have to obey some things. You actually have to do some things. You actually have to come out of your lofty theological position and think that you've got all the answers and you've actually got to do something. You have to apply the death. You have to apply the burial. You have to apply the resurrection. Let's clap our hands and give God the real praise that you and I know the gospel. We have obeyed the gospel. This is a church that is established on the only gospel. Should I now persuade men? You know, you can't build a crowd and preach that message. The Apostle Paul ran into this when he went to Corinth, immediately on the heels of going to Mars Hill. 
He went to Mars Hill, and there was not one convert. There's never been a church in Mars Hill. You want to know why? Because he missed one of God's requirements of preaching. He put an intellectual message together to titillate the ears of the Epicureans and the Stoics that were leading philosophers of the day. Philosophy was, was, was on the back end. It was starting to die out. But the Epicureans and the Stoics, they were extremes. Epicureans believed that life was for pleasure, and Stoicism was that we should all be in a monastery. And so the Apostle Paul molded and shaped a message at Mars Hill that he was hoping to appeal to the listeners. But Jesus Christ said, when you stand before men, think not what you will say, for the Spirit will give you what you should say. When it's God doing the speaking, God said, I don't care what Hollywood's doing. I don't care what sports is doing. I don't care what another church is doing. This is what heaven is doing. Clap your hands and give God the praise. When it's of the supernatural and it's Holy Ghost preaching, it cuts through the lies and the distortion of this world. Oh, somebody shout with a voice of triumph. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 4, the apostle Paul says, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel. There were people during the days of the apostles that were completely captivated by the unction and the anointing that was on these men. They thought they'd try their hand on it and maybe change the message a little bit, make it a little easier. Instead of actually having to obey the gospel, you can just accept Jesus as your Savior right where you're sitting. Problem is, it's not in the Bible. Well, if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, then I shall be saved. That scripture was to the Jews. That is in a parenthetical passage of scripture found in Romans 9, Romans 10, and Romans 11. That is not even talking to the church. It's parenthetical in that Paul was writing to the Christians at Rome, but he was talking about his fellow countrymen, the Jews. Because at the end time, there's not going to be water baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. The only thing they're going to have the opportunity to do, that's our Savior on Mount Zion. That's Jesus Christ. But see, if you don't understand these things, people are getting really confused in our world. And I, 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 I accepted Jesus. It's not that you accepted Jesus. Is it, it's Jesus accepted you. Is he on the inside? Is he working on the outside? Is he moving through you? Is he dynamically moving in your life? Somebody lift your voice and give God the praise. This may be the most important message I've ever preached because there's people going to church all over this world that think they have something that's not even a reality. You must be born again of the water and of the Spirit, saith God. You got to go down in a burial and come up with resurrection power. Somebody shout with a voice to try My Lord, I feel the climate beginning to change. Come on, somebody. Lift your voice. You know how we do things around here. 
Those are not bleachers. Those are pews for the righteous to resound an amen and a praise the Lord. This is not being judgmental, but I'm just about up to here with well-meaning, good, innocent people. Because wide is the gate to destruction, but narrow is the way that leadeth into eternal life. You know what, this apostolic message, it's right here next to the interstate. We got a street named after us. God is letting it know you're a city on a hill. Nobody can hide you. Nobody can put you out. You're there for everybody. And when I bring them there, I want you to preach. I want you to preach. I want you to preach. God's going to dominate this entire region, and it's going to happen through preaching. God has an agenda in Spokane. When Paul got to Corinth, he knew he had blown it. I let those philosophers and those people that were in the university, I let them intimidate me. And so it was a good message. You know, it was informative. But nothing happened. If you preach this gospel, something will happen. There's somebody here today that wants deliverance. There's somebody here today that wants healing. There's somebody here today that wants to come out of a dark place. There's somebody here that wants to walk home with Jesus on the inside. There's somebody here today that wants the God of eternity, that wants the real rich reality of the truth in your life. And so Paul got to Corinthians. And when he finally wrote the epistle to the Corinthians, my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but I just reared back. It was the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. You might like hanging around what's going on at Mars Hill, but this is the church of Corinth where it's not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but it is the power and the demonstration of the Spirit. Oh, come on, somebody, give him praise. My goodness, I'm starting to get excited, which means I go faster, which means you're doing your job. So please stop, because i got to slow down, because there's people that need to comprehend what I am saying. When it's all feel, the brain can easily put it in a little cubby hole and say, "These these these people are whacked out. So I'm suppressing what I really want to do for the sake of others. 
Because you've got to understand that there's only one gospel. And if you get the truth, you'll be acting just like us. These people that were running the aisles a little sooner, when Paul, when Paul finally got to Corinth, his pride was hurting because there wasn't one person that prayed through among all of those philosophers. And so when he got to Corinth, after God gave him that vision, he just reared back and preached. And you want to know the kind of people that responded to that preaching? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 9. They were adulterers, fornicators, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind. They were, they were, they were the modern-day drag queens, transvestites, homosexuals, adulterers, drunks, drug addicts. When the apostle Paul got to preaching, the gospel threw the net out there, and everybody's welcome. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your sin is. I don't care what's been done to you. God can fix it all. Somebody lift your voice and give God the praise. This is not a demographically driven church. This is not a church that, that just appeals to one demographic. It's to everybody. It's to every color. It's to every creed. It's to every denomination. It's to every human being. There's only one gospel. That's right. I'm telling you the truth. Paul was intimidated by the people who had the educations. But when he got to Corinth, he said, I ain't making that mistake again. I'm just going to rear back and preach. And when he did... All manner of men experienced the power of the gospel. Let's just lift our hands and thank God. The real gospel has real power. Life-changing power. Eternal directing power. We have a record throughout the book of Acts. It's probably one of the reasons why it is the most theologically overlooked book in the entirety of the New Testament. It's been dismissed as a history book. Ladies and gentlemen, we are still in the book of Acts. Ladies and gentlemen, we are still in the book of Acts. There is no formalized ending to the book of Acts. We are still in the book of Acts. You and I are operating with the Holy Ghost to write the book of Acts in Spokane, Washington, and it's happening all over the world. I'm just excited I get to be a part of this. I'm just excited that an old washed up heavy metal drug addict is now preaching the gospel, the same gospel the apostle Paul did, and the same gospel the apostle Peter did, and the same gospel that changed their world. What was the original apostolic gospel? 
The apostle Peter was the first one. Historically and in reality, the apostle Peter was the first one to preach the gospel in the dispensation of grace. It's on the birthday of the church. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. There were thousands of Jews that were there for the Old Testament celebration of the Feast of Pentecost. It was one of three where they actually made a pilgrimage. They were all bilingual. They were all from other parts. They'd already experienced the diaspora. But they still honored the Old Testament request to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And that's, all of Judaism was there. And God, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost was poured out. And the Apostle Peter preached the first apostolic gospel. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Everybody said repent. Everybody said baptism. Everybody said Holy Ghost. You might remember. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4. That he died according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scriptures. And he rose again according to the scriptures. So that is the basis of good news. So how do I receive good news? You have to repent. That applies the blood. You have to be baptized. That is a type of the burial. And you, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is a type of resurrection to new life. And so what Jesus did according to the scriptures in dying, buried, and being resurrected continues on in the gospel when we have to repent of our sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues. Now, pastor, I got a problem with that message. All right. My first problem is, is that, let me get my hands right, because this is how these theologians do it. Baptism is not a requirement for salvation. My response is, really? Why? Yes. Baptism is not a requirement for salvation. Well, then why is it in Matthew chapter 20, verse 19, Mark chapter 16, verse 16, Luke chapter 4, verse number 24, 47, Acts chapter 2, verse number 38, Acts chapter 8, verses 12 through 15, Acts chapter 10, verse 43 through 46, Acts 19, verses 1 through 6, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Galatians chapter 3, verse number 26, I could go on on, Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 12, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 whereby baptism does now save us. It's a different gospel. 
Go to the scripture in 1 John 5 and 8. And there are three that bear witness in the earth. The spirit. This is the gospel that's the witness in the earth. The spirit. The water. And the blood. You might be sitting here today thinking, oh my goodness, I'm seeing this in the Bible that the gospel that my church preaches, and I'm not putting down your pastor, I'm not putting down your dominant, I'm not putting down anybody. But I have a responsibility to preach the only gospel that will save human beings and to become ready for the rapture. And that is Jesus died was buried and resurrected. I apply the death, the burial, and the resurrection, or the blood, the water, and the spirit. Go back to Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let's give him praise. The blood, the water, and the spirit, the death, the burial, the resurrection, repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost. It's apostolic. It's the only gospel given among men. Pastor, I see it. but I have a problem. Okay, what's the next problem? I was baptized, but I was baptized in the titles Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I see. Can you show me one place in your Bible where a human being was baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Go to Acts chapter 19. Go to verse 2. The Apostle Paul is now, after leaving Corinth in Acts 18, he's now in Ephesus, one of the most thunderous churches of Asia Minor. And he asked the disciples of John the Baptist a question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. We only were exposed to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said that we were going to be baptized for him that will be coming after John. Then said Paul, John truly baptized with the baptism of repentance. Everybody said repent saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Next verse. When they heard this, they were rebaptized. Because they'd already been baptized once. Ladies and gentlemen, nobody in the entirety of the word of God was ever baptized in the triune titles. 
In Acts chapter 2, it was in Jesus' name. In Acts 8, it was Jesus' name. In Acts 10, it was Jesus' name. In Acts 19, and they were heard this. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Next verse. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one gospel. Let's stand to our feet and lift our hands and give God the praise. The agenda of the gospel is to call people out, prepare them for the rapture. Come on, let's lift our voices. If you've experienced the gospel, let's, let's thank God. Let's give him praise. Come on, somebody, lift your voice like a trumpet. Let's give him real praise. Thank God he called me out. Thank God I've seen this truth. Thank God my, my eyes were open to it. Thank God I've obeyed the truth of the gospel. Maybe you're here today. If you'd go to Romans chapter 6, verse number 4, Brother Andrew, just put it up there. Maybe you're standing here this morning. We love God and we love you. We loved you enough to preach the truth to you. But it might just be that you need to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Years ago, I was given a Bible study to um, an older woman and her son. At that time, her son was going to this church, and her mom, or pardon me, his mom was almost 70 years of age. And I was giving them a 12-week Bible study in their home, and I got to the part about baptism and just a myriad of scriptures that talked about baptism. Why? Because it's uniting us with the burial. Look at this right here. Therefore, we are buried with him. So that means that when I obey the gospel, I am becoming directly associated with what Jesus did in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But it's not me that will die. It's not me that will be buried. It's not me that will be resurrected out of a physical tomb. But when I apply what Jesus did. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death that like as Christ was raised from the dead. How can you rise from the dead if you're not buried? How can you tell people that baptism is not a component of the gospel. I'm going to tell you what happened. Centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries of people getting away from the biggest Christian organization in the history of the world called the Catholic Church. They only got one little ray of hope out of a scripture and they would build a whole doctrine of it. That's what Martin Luther did. John Calvin, the Wesley brothers, John Knox, gentlemen by the name of Swedenborg, they all left during the Reformation. Nobody went back to Acts. They were only escaping from the point that they departed, which was Catholic doctrine. 
this older woman looked at me. She said, Pastor, I go to the biggest church in the area, and our pastor has told us that we don't have to be baptized to be saved. I held my Bible out to her, and I said, can you please show me that in the Bible? She said, no, but I, I trust my pastor. I said, did you speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave you utterance? She said, no, I, we, we don't believe that the Spirit of God is moving like that in this day and age. I said, can you show me that in this Bible? The level of propaganda in the church eclipses the propaganda that's in the media. If you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, I strongly recommend to you that you get baptized today in the only saving name, the name of Jesus Christ. And when you come out of that water, there's not going to be any confusion that as you lift your hands and begin to praise God, you're going to feel a power that's from another world. And that is resurrection power now that you've come out of the burial grave of water. Go ahead. This altar's open. Maybe you just want to come and pray. Maybe, maybe you just want to come and pray about this. This altar's open. Cornerstone, why don't you look around and invite somebody with you? Maybe there's somebody that wants to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ in this building today. All of heaven knows your name. Sing louder. Let this place erupt with praise. Can you hear it? The sound of heaven touching earth. There's somebody the that needs to go down in that water today and bury all of your sins and bury your old nature. Jesus wants to create a new creature and that creature will come out of obedience to the gospel. The blood, the water, the spirit, repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost.